0: Good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are. Welcome to the Underground Table. Uh, I am your host, John Garcia. With me, as always, is Ryan King.
1: Where does a Hindu get fresh meat? Where? At the New Delhi. Ah. Ah, Yay.
0: And that that ghost you heard is Michael Dixon.
1: (laughs) Boo,
2: your joke also, John. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. We're all a bunch of comedy geniuses here tonight. Uh, (laughs) And... Um, yeah, in this episode, we will be talking about the film that I picked, which is "Looking for Comedy in the Muslim World." It is the title that had Sony Pictures Classic back out of its production,
3: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: that Warner Brothers Entertainment uh, and their independent label could step in and help Albert Brooks uh, publish this uh, or get this out for folks to see. Um, this came out in 2005, uh, and the the reason that I picked it is one: I'm an Albert Brooks fan. I didn't even know he made this. Uh, a lot of the critics. Um, kind of their consensus is that this is the most forgettable of the movies that he's made, which is probably why I didn't hear about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the I'll get into the synopsis basically, uh, the American Senate forms a committee to improve the US image in foreign politics. Um, and in, in 2005, they decide that they should hire comedian Albert Brooks because a bunch of the other people they consulted did not want to do this.
2: Or we're already uh, is, working.
0: We're already working. That's the, that's the thing they say anyway. Um, and, uh, they decided to send him over to, um, to New Delhi, to India and to Pakistan to have him find out what makes people laugh over there. Uh, and that's like the entire premise of the film, Uh, So you get to follow Albert Brooks on this kind of self-loathing journey (laughs) um, to try and do something that's kind of impossible and is just bureaucratically stupid. Um, And uh, yeah, it's all about just that experience, that kind of journey. Um, Terms of how I felt about watching this film, being a Brooks fan, it had a lot of the humor that I kind of expected from it. There were some real kind of delights to it, parts that made me really laugh parts that made me smile and then other parts where it felt like the pacing was off. Like it just took a little bit too long to do what it was going to do. Even an hour and 38 minutes for runtime. Uh, the the film still felt a little bit too long and where it was dabbling. Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious to hear what y'all think. Uh, so Ryan.
1: Yeah, I think I kind of agree. It felt bland all the way through. There are definitely moments that I laughed at, but overall it, it wasn't as funny as I thought it could be. I also feel like culturally there was an opportunity to talk about, uh, the differences in our culture and our comedy and how culture and comedy like interplay with each other. But really, I think it actually probably came off more offensive or not representative of, of both countries that he went to. Um, Darla said this was a two hours wasted of her life. She'll never get back. It was an hour 38 of her life that she'll never get back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, I don't know, it, it. I like Albert Brooks. I like his comedy and some of the other things he's done. I just don't think this one was pulled off as well. Um, it, Yeah, that's kind of what, we can go more into it. Dixon?
2: Yeah, Um, I feel like the, the concept of this movie is really great. Like, the idea that the U.S. is like, well, we keep bombing the Muslims and we're not getting anywhere there. So I guess let's try figuring out how to, like, talk to them and the only way that they can think of to do that is by hiring former senator and at the time future awful presidential candidate Fred Thompson to <laughs> run a Senate committee and uh you know like appoint Albert Brooks to go figure just go figure out what the brown people think is funny like that's that's a really funny concept um there's a lot of great criticism of the American government and war machine in the movie, like the idea that a Senate committee measures success by the number of pages in your report is hilarious. (laughs) And, um, you know, just like the, the conflicts that arise because of them sending over somebody on their behalf explicitly to do these things, um, is, is funny to see that all play out. Um, I felt like the concept wasn't executed super well, which was, was disappointing to me. I don't know if I laughed a single time, except for like just acknowledging that the general concept was, was funny, but I just felt like the actually seeing it play out and just seeing Albert Brooks just go around and ask Indians what they think is funny or like, you know, putting on a routine that is clearly, uh, clearly only makes sense if you're very familiar with American stand-up comedy. Like, you know, it's, again, that's something that I feel like should be funny. But I feel like Brooks is almost playing, like, too much of a dope in the movie. Like, because um, clearly he is is trying to make this movie to criticize the Bush administration and, and what they're doing in the Middle East. And it, it seems like, um, it feels like the movie should be smarter than his character actually ends up being and kind of how that plays out. Um, but I don't know. I, 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 overall just was kind of disappointed in the execution of it. I feel like the, the Bush era is, um, one of the best times in, in recent American history for political dissent and comedy, uh, you know, ba- coming out of the era, like you have, like when Stephen Colbert was actually good and, um, you know, like a lot of stuff that was anti Bush, that was very, um, poignant and smart and hilarious of that time. And I feel like, this was a good idea, but just kind of didn't really end up hitting. So
0: yeah, that makes sense because you, this is effectively one of the, actually one of the critics reviews that I read was about how this was just a toothless comedy. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't really mm, have yeah. any kind of sharp edge to it. And I've, I mean, yeah, Brooks has had, I would say sharper work in the past that I'd seen. That's like, Oh, this is actually really biting and kind of ahead of its time in its own way. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. I, Darla and I talked about it this morning, and she said the movie didn't have a point. Like, they weren't trying to say anything. I was like, I think that it was. Oh, it definitely
2: had a point. Yeah. yeah.
1: I said, honestly, I was like, I think it's reverse Borat, where like Borat is coming to the United States, talking with Americans, and showing how disconnected they are from the rest of the world and how much they just mm. kind of don't understand or care. And this was like Albert Brooks going to India and being disconnected from that, not understanding or caring. Uh, in which I said was like represented by uh, who was the his secretary Maya, Maya, yes. yeah. where she actually tries to empathize with him and understand the comedy, even though he's putting in no effort on that side. But it wasn't executed as well as Borat is. Like I don't think mm-hmm. he selected or got the moments that actually would have pointed that out as well. Yeah.
0: And and like a lot of the other Brooks films, he he's always like so Brooks is historically writer, director and star of his own films in a way where he is always the self deprecated. He plays somebody who's just kind of like um, just an asshole or very like he's not really a good person in any of his films, just a different variation of that. So he's like he's kind of like how. Ryan Reynolds is super smug son of a bitch in every film he's in, but he's technically somebody different. However, I feel like Brooks has more nuance to his performance. It's not just like, yeah, like if you've seen any of his other stuff, like modern romance is a different kind of, um, kind of Brooksian character who's neurotic and cares more about certain aspects of what he thinks romance is. And he tends to tackle his films on that kind of thing. I'll pick a subject. I'll put myself in that role as like myself basically, and then try to walk through kind of the absurdity of how, how inept I could be possibly at it. Um, It's not like with that Borat comparison, you know, Borat's actually using like real life interaction and kind of hidden camera stuff to reveal how out of touch people are. Brooks does it by actually manufacturing like all of the moments and events that he needs to. So like even the concepts in this were like to Dixon's point, interesting and should have been funnier um, and in an execution, they just f- seem yeah. to fall flat.
2: Uh, and it's yeah. kind of the point, right? Like he is the dumb American going right. overseas, and uh, you know, just not making. And he acts like he's making an effort to understand the culture, but he's really not, right? Because he's telling them jokes that make no sense if you're not very intimately familiar with American culture and stand-up comedy specifically, and. Uh, You know, he doesn't even he doesn't really try to figure out what makes them laugh. He's only kind of willing to do so within the context of things that he knows and finds funny. And I think that's, that's basically the point of kind of American foreign relations where we're not making an effort to meet people where they are and to understand where they're coming from. You know, at this time, you have you know, the Bush administration saying idiotic things like, well, you know, they just hate us for our freedom. You know, it's like, no, well, actually, like if you actually go like, you know, talk to people in other countries or like read like what people are saying, it's like they have specific problems with our policies about Israel or with other things in our foreign relations with our military industrial complex being all over the world. Like there are a lot of good reasons for people in other countries to have issues with America but, you know, it kind of boils down to this, well, you know, they just, they're they just jealous of us because we're fucking badass. And uh, <laughs> th- this kind of feels like a critique of that mentality to me, which I think is a, a really good thing to critique. And there's a lot of ways to do that in a smart, interesting way. And I feel like he's just like, yeah, we should make fun of that. But kind of doesn't really come through with strong jokes to make fun of that.
0: It came over. It, yeah, it came across to me as a much more like <laughs> subtle sort of like it is that like i smile through the comedy i don't really laugh through a lot of it yeah one of the aspects that i found really funny so i'll just kind of like run through the basic like pieces of the story because there's not a whole lot to like pick apart in any scene it's more of like we're just going to draw from it um yeah at the very beginning brooks is just enjoying life in his kind of current success (laughs) which just means he's looking for work and uh um, he tries to apply for like a job with under Penny the, Marshall, like some role in They're and,
1: remaking Jimmy Stewart's that's Harvey. Yeah, they're remaking mm-hmm. Harvey. He they meet to... him for like two minutes and then are like, nah.
0: Yeah, he leaves that and then the government approaches him and says, we got this program. We're trying to do uh, send you over there. We want a 500 page paper. Don't worry, nobody really reads these things.
2: But um, one of the times I did laugh is when he got the, the letter that his wife's like, you got a certified letter from the State Department. He's like, uh, oh no, I wonder if this because I went on an Al Qaeda website <laughs> Right. For like last five week, minutes. I was just curious. Yeah. So I was just wondering what it was all about. Yeah, that part that part got me too.
0: Um, they send him over. Yeah, he he goes over and sets up uh, basically an office in New Delhi. He goes through the process of getting an assistant who can help him keep track of things and hopefully write out more about uh, the things that he's discovering. And then it's just mostly him on the street asking people, hey, do you know what's funny? Decides to put on a big comedy show to show everybody, like, okay, we'll just figure out if I just do my stand-up. See, we'll see
1: what they laugh at. We'll see
0: what um, they laugh at. <laughs> the most naive assumptions. And then uh, after that doesn't work out in a very, like, grueling, long kind of cringe thing with this great, improv bit in between where he's like taking their suggestions and throwing them away against (laughs) improv. Mm -hmm. Um, and then realizing that what he was doing was racist (laughs) in the middle of it. Uh, he decides to go to Pakistan, but they can only get him across the border for like four hours.
2: Illegally. Illegally. They can't get a visa for him.
0: They, they put him across the border the whole time. Like the Indian government has been monitoring him and they're like what is he doing why is he here they they start to think that there's a yeah, conflict
1: overhear That's, some yeah. things yeah wrong, they over yeah. The well, wrong he's
2: been things. telling people that he's from the american government, government. so yeah. it's therefore just creating questions naturally and he's got these two state department goons following him around everywhere <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and and so he yeah he goes across the border and like he'd already said i think one of the conversational bits that they pick up on for the government is he says like it's okay to bomb you're <laughs> supposed to do it and like this and that and so in
2: the sense of a comedy show yeah in the yeah. comedy
0: show <clears throat> yeah and so he goes across into Pakistan. He entertains some comedians very late at night. I think they're all drunk, maybe. I don't know, but they're just having way too good of a time with the bits that he's doing.
1: Uh-huh. So, maybe they're comedians. Maybe they're entertained. who knows? Yeah,
0: yeah. And then he comes back, like just soaring on that. He's so confident again that his comedy must be good. Um, and it kind of just like resolves to he doesn't really ever write the five hundred pages. He just like kind of. They call it a day. Mission accomplished banner behind yep. George W. Uh-huh. Bush. Like yeah, right yeah. here. Uh and, and that's basically and, how it ends and Yeah, ends they have re- like six
2: pages after the yeah. end of his yeah. trip. And he has to he has to get sent back to America early because India and Pakistan are both like what the hell is going on with this guy and they keep like well we better put some more troops at the border and then it escalates into an actual war between two (laughs) nuclear powers and Brooks doesn't even realize that that, that's going on yeah they have like Um, a
0: celebration party for him being back yeah and there's like
2: the tv in the background that's uh, and it's like that that's funny too like a the unintended consequences of American foreign policy, like leads to stupid shit like that. And he actively made it worse. Right. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Like we just fuck things up worse and, and cause more problems. And again, that's like in theory should be funny. It's a good point, but like, I just felt like it didn't really come through super well.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the things in between, that's like a through line. It's a, it's a repeat joke that keeps coming up and it's not done really for laughs. It's done more to point out how they're so close to kind of being near something that could help in this situation is when Brooks decides that he should be padding the report. And he Mm. asks Maya to go start reading up on the culture and the history of everybody (laughs) just to (laughs) pad it. And then he, frequently is like how's that coming along like we got to do that and they always stop him before they can get any kind of cultural kind of grounding to yeah, help which
2: would actually it. maybe be helpful for him to understand <laughs> yeah. what they think is funny yeah. it
1: just never does well and that he views it that way of just like i'm just gonna put it in there i don't need to know what it is yeah yep. yeah mm. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, yeah, and so
1: yeah they're not gonna read he says that explicitly right where he's like they're not gonna read that part anyway either right like
3: <laughs>
0: and they, they yeah there's so yeah it's like yeah, the stakes all throughout, they're talking about how many pages are due and all of that. And it just never really feels tense. Doesn't really, I guess, need to in a way, but it just doesn't feel like they gave Brooks of like, oh my God, I have to do this thing now. And I can't do it because of this. Uh, like none of his blockers that he encounters feel really like they give any weight to anything else he's going to do. Um, and that's why it started to end up feeling way more like Oh, no, I one thing I was reminded of, and this is not to knock a knock a thing that Dixon loves, but I was reminded of the (laughs) trip where there's just like moments where he just gets to be Albert Brooks and just be in a scene with a few people and talk about something. And they're trying to do like grabbing onto bits of his neuroticism or like the bits that he's doing. Mm -hmm. felt like I was watching an extended episode of like Curb Your Enthusiasm at times Mm -hmm. because of how he was trying to explain to people what what they were doing. Um, But yeah,
1: how did they film this? Like I was trying to find out and I think because it didn't do well no one followed up on but I'm like that a lot of that had to be actually on the street right I did, they like, so. yeah, did they it, I mean, like did they just get an this. extra and prep it or did they actually do some like loose interviews and then pick maybe they did things? I, don't I don't know, know. and uh, I couldn't find out I'm also like
0: his comedy show um that crowd looked <laughs> extremely dead like believably dead <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and that that made me wonder as well was that like filmed it I felt to like
2: me this. like it was cast and and yeah. all those yeah. people were there to do certain things and respond in specific ways it didn't feel like a free-flowing improv type of thing
1: but. yeah but the stuff on the street it was hard to tell and then you know there's definitely moments like that when they handed out the flyers i'm like they were just handing out flyers <laughs> yeah in that, in that, that, <laughs> and, yes. and just playing off of it yeah
0: yeah or like the laugh yoga where they were like going, might, through yeah, the, well. That scene where <laughs> he just decides that these guys love to laugh. I should hand them flyers while they're in the middle of doing their laugh practice. Yeah. Was kind of so absurd that I just auto like, I uncontrollably was <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that was,
1: yeah, right after the argument about whether to print the directions in Hindi. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Yeah. The fact that he just kept backing into that the whole time. Like, I think that some people may be here. That was another good gag for me, was him being like, does anybody here like speak English? Because we printed the flyers in two languages, even though it's like the smallest fucking yeah. bit and everybody raises their hand and he's like, Oh God. Uh, okay.
2: <laughs> Did the exorcist make it over to yeah. India? Oh
0: shit. Again, the the U S doesn't do its homework. And yeah. Fucking yeah. bubble into places. <laughs> I
1: will say though, like, so I've seen him do the ventriloquist bit on Johnny Carson and I found it funny there and for some reason it did not land with me as an audience member either. So I don't. Same. Yeah. yeah I was kind of, I'm guessing, did he do that on purpose or. I, yeah. It was hard to tell.
0: That's the thing because like a lot of the stuff he does that is supposed to be funny in the movie doesn't land as funny. And I felt like he did an extra, he went like an extra length to like kill it. Just yeah. know, ap- actually just make it flat. As flat yeah, as possible. Yeah. His
2: presentation wasn't good is delivery and i I feel like that bit works if you're in a crowd that is really going for what you're doing and you have everybody like you're telling good jokes that aren't making fun of comedy and people are there with you and laughing and then you segue into like a fake joke basically with with the puppet like that seems like a funny way to do it, to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, like, I know you're expecting me to keep making good jokes, but I'm just going to be stupid for the sake of it. And it's going to be funny because yeah. you're not expecting it. But in the context of a stand-up where every joke is bombing and no one thinks he's <laughs> funny, to do that bit where he's doing purposely bad jokes just seems like a, a really bad context for, for the ventriloquist bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think right, when you're on Johnny Carson, there's that there's already an expectation. You know he's a comedian, you know what Venturoak was do, you know he's kind of rampooning yeah. uh-huh. that. Yeah, there's so much built in. Which I think it was the idea, but then when you see it and you see that poorly performed, it doesn't make sense unless like I can see him at the back of my head, Albert Brooks being like, Well, that can be funny, but I want to do it but not actually be funny, so then it's funny that they're not laughing because it's not funny. But then you come full circle mm-hmm. around to like, wait, yeah. what are we doing here?
0: Well, it's kind of amazing <laughs> because like the, the main comedy that comes from his comedy show is is the unintentional, like we're having technical problems. Like he <laughs> wants the house lights dimmed and then they try to turn them off and it turns off all the power to like the entire building. <laughs> and the guy turns it back on and is like, we can't do it today. The switch doesn't work the way that it should. Um, And, and that's like the only part where I was like, all right, okay, that was actually... Sure. I'm going to him just like ragging on that every time a joke bombs where he's like it would be better if like the lights were off.
1: And yeah, we he's could just all see excuses. me. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's it's that's exactly what it, uh, again, like this is just more Brooks formula stuff. I listened to also like Roger Ebert's corpse. Tell me how this movie was. <laughs> um, and he was like, eh, for like Albert Brooks fans, you're going to f- find like a rhythm and flow that fits with his normal style. But for like everybody else, it's probably going to fall pretty flat. And he was like three stars. And I was like, all right, that, mm-hmm. that was a real review. Ebert, you're, uh, you're getting on an H. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I felt that same kind of way where this is like, this is a movie that, it's like okay, I watched it. I don't think that I will go back to it like I would to any of his other kind of films from the '80s, even some in the '90s. Um, but it, it just didn't, uh, yeah, did not didn't land in the execution and the story and trying to retell it or like even analyze it. It's just like okay, it, it seems like extra work. <laughs> just, yeah,
2: and this is a this is the first Albert Brooks directed film that I have seen. I've heard great things about Lost in America and. Uh, Defending Your Life and some other, you know, 80s and 90s films that, that he made, Modern Romance. Um, and I know you're, you're a fan of, of a lot of those films, John. Um, but mainly I know him as an actor and I'm usually really entertained by him on screen, whether it's, uh, you know, Hank Scorpio or the dude from Taxi Driver yeah. or uh, the dude from Drive. Or, you know, like he, he can play some pretty good roles and be funny or terrifying or, you know, like he can do a lot of stuff as an actor. And then in this, I was just like, man, I was just like bored with, with him. I, I felt like his character was just so flat and he didn't really like give himself very much to do. The Albert Brooks, the writer director did not give Albert Brooks, the actor that, that much to do. And I was like, man, like he's usually so entertaining in other roles that I've seen. And it's just not kind of coming through here.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I think like lost in America, the through line has stakes yeah right and there's that and the comedy then being built around that works i mean but it's not about comedy so yeah. that but that, i think that's where it's tough here is like though this is supposed to be a comedy thing but it's also not that it, it, it gets difficult but yeah the through lines just not there I'm, I'm thinking like national lampoons vacation like there's stakes they're not necessarily huge but like mm. you're still engaged with like the characters and where they're going and what they're doing where here it's like hard to engage because like Maya is the only one that has anything interesting going on again. Yeah. Maybe that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe. Cause,
0: Cause like it even has, yeah. Maya's character has s- so much going on. There's a lot of development happening in terms of she's trying to understand more about um, Brooks's humor and she has this kind of uh, fascination with trying to stay. She's really dedicated to the job of being an assistant to him and helping him on his Kind of mission to assemble this 500 pages. She's even willing to go to the library and help him pad everything. And then her like boyfriend that gets introduced into it, um, just that whole dynamic that happens between them seemed to culminate in a weird moment where she's like, Is it okay if I just break up with him and tell him that I'm falling for you? And that's the (laughs) excuse I use. Mm -hmm. And Brooks is like, No, that's a bad (laughs) idea. It it also like that. could have landed or been funnier i feel like and i just it just came out of nowhere seemingly Uh, part of me was like oh i hope it doesn't i hope there's not like a thing about that because she seemed a little too eager to help him at times and these kinds of things and whether or not it is like a real romantic sort of connection she felt to him i was like i don't want to see this in this movie yeah i'm
1: glad they didn't do that i think it was a subversion yeah yeah but also then that that was immediately followed up with a questionable joke about Iran and Libya. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Like those, there were a lot of those jokes where I was like, oh man, that one did not land well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For a movie that is about failing at comedy, it does it when it needs to and when it doesn't need to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh yeah, that that being said, this is your first movie, Dixon, that was directed and written by Albert Brooks. Um, it's a good place to start. There's only up. You can only <laughs> go up from here.
2: I do wanna see some of his other works. Like I've heard great things from you and from from other friends and critics that I've read and you know, definitely wanna see more of his, his earlier stuff, but was was a bit disappointed with this one.
0: Yeah, quite an underwhelming uh, experience. But um yeah. I do was... think uh
2: John Carroll Lynch was good. I always like him and stuff. He's the the larger bald uh, yeah. state department guy. Yeah. And he's like kind of, you know, plays like a background character most of the movie. And then all of a sudden he like starts talking to Albert Brooks more toward the end and be like, why the hell did you do a speech or do a bit about like making fun of improv when these people have no context for what improv is? Like you didn't do any research about your audience or anything. And he's like asking me about how he feels about other comedians and Brooks is like, don't fucking ask me about other comedians. All I only want to talk about myself. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, he brought like some nice levity to it toward the end that I was like, man, I kind of wish we had more from him earlier in the in the film
0: yeah, that, that was like the thing was they, they introduced those two characters. It was, yeah, John Carroll Lynch's character, Stuart, and I don't remember the other dude. The other dude whose bit, like He's his, always on the phone. his main Bluetooth. bit was that he was yeah. seamlessly going in between phone and regular yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. Or
1: he was just like, well, I'll work on that for you with no clarity on what that meant or if he was actually going to do
3: it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then just randomly, I guess, hooking up with women was another thing that he did, right, or something. I don't know. I guess
3: They
2: didn't really follow through, follow on, through on that really yeah. They like set that up. Up and then just kind of left it there.
0: Yeah, so it just it just had those moments of like, all right, are you going to do anything with this? Or no, okay, well, I guess we're on to this other thing. Um, yeah, it 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 did. Uh, this is the only reason that I picked this movie is because, one, like right after we kind of parted ways the last episode, I was trying to figure out, hey, what should I – well, what is a good film? Something I haven't seen, something that maybe uh, I haven't even heard of or considered yet. And like when I opened my phone, that was like the first thing that YouTube was recommending me was a trailer for that. For some reason, mm-hmm. I have no idea what the algorithm is trying to do, <laughs> but I was like, I've never heard of it. This. All right, I'll pick it. Albert Brooks. Sure. Why not? This thing? <laughs> sure. Why not? Uh, it even had the controversial title that Sony pictures, classics, uh, dropped him over, which like in retrospect, the title itself too, just speaks to kind of the comedy within the movie. Just that yeah. ignorance yeah. of saying that is the Muslim world, <laughs> uh, is, <laughs> Is in and of itself humorous to me because I'm like, that is that underestimation of how massive something could be in an undertaking.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and all of like the bureaucratic bullshit in between was just also like, yeah, we need 500 pages. Nobody's going to read it. That kind of stuff. We never, yeah. Yeah. Hey,
1: we never really even have a confirmation that he actually talked to Muslims. <laughs> yeah. We know, he doesn't religions. ask anybody if
0: they're Muslim <laughs> or not. They just yeah, assume- they send him to a
2: majority Hindu country <laughs> yeah. that has yeah. lots of Muslims. But yeah, it's like he doesn't know how to like seek them out if yeah who's muslims and who's not <laughs> like I good know. enough yeah
0: yeah and, and and i think that that's what his like what his big show just ended up being he was trying to lump them all he was like i can just say if we do this big show that everybody was there anyway yeah. yeah got mm-hmm. it some way or another i'll figure it yeah, out.
2: yeah there were yeah. like 300 people there like surely <laughs> that's an accurate representation of a billion indians <laughs> yeah
0: so yeah just in concept like trying to tell somebody about it it sounds funny and the concept itself sounds good. And then the execution itself just drags out too long. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. there's
2: also um, his costumes were like something like, oh, that should be funny. But they kind of wasn't, you know, where he's trying to dress like an Indian and buying absurd outfits that like look like nothing to anyone from there is actually wearing, it kind of reminded me of like, uh, Melania Trump going on safari wearing <laughs> uh, that like imperialist hat thing. I forget what those yeah, are called. Yeah. Um, but you know, that the kind of thing where like, you know, Americans going overseas who are trying to identify with people instead of just like being real with them, they just like, adopt a cartoonish idea of who those people are and, and yeah. think that that is going to be something that will be well received, which of course it's not going yeah. to be.
1: Well, when he gets to the most ridiculous in that outfit and then he goes to Al Jazeera and they're just all in Western right. dress. Yeah. yeah. yeah normally. And yeah.
2: And he's wearing like shoes that look like they came from like an elf and Santa's workshop that have like yeah. curled toes, yeah. like the fucking <laughs> wicked witch of the West or whatever. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Which that like, I feel like that was a good setup. Like I was kind of laughing about that of like, he comes in and he, mm-hmm. he's trying to fit in, but he himself would be better. Again, though, we cap it with a joke that makes India seem bad. They're like, and, because a yeah. couple like mm-hmm. anti Jew jokes, which I'm mm-hmm. sure Al Brooks loves, but like, they, it, we had all this set up with Al, Al Jazeera. I like that they, they had the idea that he's there filming a kid's cartoon movie. Yeah. Like, they have no idea why he's there either. And then they try to lead him into a sitcom. That was all great. But then when the sitcom is based on like this, you know, racist stereotype yeah. deal or whatever, it's like, yeah, he just sucked the wind out of 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 what this movie was trying to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because at that point it's like, yeah, up to that point, them pitching him on being in a sitcom would have been funny for him to decline because it was it's another chance for him to figure out what people think might be funny, what they think the it, sitcom
1: comedy could have been. It could have been the exact same everything yeah. and it was called My Stupid American Neighbor. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, that yeah. and it would have tied into the plot and everything. Like it was so yeah. close.
0: Yeah. But then it, yeah, then he just had to leave. He was like, I have to get out of here. Just that, that happened with the assistant thing yeah. too.
2: The, the title was that darn Jew. And yeah. they were like, you know, oh, the the Jewish neighbor in the all Muslim apartment complex. And it's like, yeah, that's, yeah. It, it feels, there There were some jokes that felt like they were punching down like that. Like, like the, the Libyan and Iranian joke about like, you know, a father killing somebody who breaks up his son's marriage and things like that. There's jokes about, people making bombs and stuff the explosives camp joke yeah that all feel a little bit like and maybe that's part of the meta commentary of the well i guess the jokes that he makes maybe are part of the meta commentary yeah al jazeera proposing him a racist show to him seems it's too much yeah Yeah, it's too uh, much
1: yeah yeah. he's supposed to say about the like a dirty bomb about pakistan yeah Yeah. like i guess as an american he's making
2: the joke then i can see how it just kind of plays into everything yeah
1: his 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 first hindu joke (laughs)
2: <laughs> at the oh, beginning yes. like
1: that was that worked actually i think that worked because it was so obviously like not a joke that would land that gandhi yeah. one yeah, yeah the, the gandhi, gandhi. joke yeah. that was funny because that that i got like if he'd have worked a little bit harder for jokes like that where it was obvious that's not gonna be funny that's not gonna work yeah like and it's clear why it doesn't work versus like the other bits like he doesn't establish why the ventriloquist joke doesn't work. I mean, he says like, Oh, they don't know, but I'm like, do they honestly like You got that. They all don't know. I don't know. You know, or could it have been funny even if you didn't get it? Like that, that never really gets it explicitly said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it was kind of like, yeah, the, the, that whole scene, really just felt like he was building a fire the entire movie and and like he started throwing more fuel onto the flames in the middle of that comedy show out of sheer panic maybe but just layering on like you don't even when he knows his assistant doesn't fully understand sarcasm he'll go on stage and try to do this like puppet satire thing (laughs) and do improv (laughs) and like stack all of these rules from western comedy into the middle of a show floor where he's already dying Mm -hmm. just to write pages in a book that he can go back and say we know that they don't like any of our humor (laughs) like to completely like uh, be oblivious to that Um, yeah
2: and he like didn't even really understand why they weren't laughing you know it's like the the opening joke was kind of funny where he was like you know if you don't i'm just gonna be trying a lot of stuff and if some of the jokes fly over your head don't worry about it they're not birds they don't shit And I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. Nobody laughs. He's like, all right, no, they don't think shit is funny here. And it's like, well, what? No, I think (laughs) you're painting with broad strokes there. It's like, (laughs) they just didn't understand the context of what you're talking about. Like, yeah. Like going over your head, maybe an American expression that they don't under, maybe it goes yeah. over their head. You know? Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. Cause he's bringing, he's bringing puns and he's bringing idioms and all of these other things that don't mm-hmm. translate necessarily. Even if you are an English speaker, second language or other, um, it, it's still really hard to keep up with how many different idioms there can be or yep. what you can say yeah. and what it's supposed to mean.
1: I said nickel and diming the other day in a meeting. And then I like woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I don't know. What to say to people from other countries? That's that same <laughs> phrase. Yeah,
0: it's being a cheap it's piece like, of shit. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've asked for some idioms from like other languages for friends that speak them natively, and I'm always surprised at what they say. And I'm just like, oh, wow. I also learned recently, we're going off on this tangent real quick. (laughs) Take us on this. That uh, that, like South Africa has several different kinds of now, like now, just now, and right now are all different nows, and -hmm. they mean that you'll do things at different times. And I was like, Asking the person I was talking to, so, like, what happened with that space balls routine with, like, you're it Now oh, now, now, that now. was then, <laughs> this is Now? And he was like, actually, I thought that the rest of the world had the same several concepts of Now that we did. <laughs> so, I didn't really, you know, it didn't phase me. I was like, all right, well, there you go. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, but, yeah, there's there's not a whole lot more that I can say about this film. It, it really just feels like it, I see... When one, I, w- I was curious. I went to see what like critics would say, what um, fans would say, and of course, there are some people out there that are like, "This is an underrated gym. People just don't understand the satire that's going on. I feel like we grasped it pretty easily, but that like, and some of the humor just didn't age well, and mm. even for then, it was like, "Meh." Um, but uh, overall, I can see
2: why yeah. like people would like this if they just get really into the political commentary that the movie is making, but like, it's like the, the commentary is good. It's there. It's just the jokes aren't great and don't necessarily land. It. I could see people being defensive about the movie because they align with what it's trying to say.
1: Yeah. And I can see plenty of people not getting any of it either. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I get where they but it's still mixed. <laughs>
0: that's, and that just points to it being a muddled kind of mess uh, of what was made. And that's, pretty much how I felt there was one point where when they were like talking about I think it was like one of the scenes where they're talking about the impending conflict where they're like trying the Indian government is talking about something and then it cuts to Brooks trying to explain something to his assistant there was just like a, a certain number of words and steps and what he was saying that like broke my brain for a second and I thought that that was funny because it was getting so muddled and absurd from such a simplistic like initial start of we just need you to write 500 pages that I was like oh, this is like delightfully absurd right now. And then I immediately went back into like, okay, this is taking a little too long to get to the other parts of the movie, to get to like the jokes or what was trying to be said or done. Yeah. So I was like coming up for air every so often. Yeah.
1: It feels like either that tees up something that you get to that you're like, oh, this is wonderful. Or there's actually interesting stakes or you so hard throw that out the window that it becomes funny that you just immediately ran away from that. Like 500 pages, like like almost immediately the embassy is like, "Ah, we don't even remember why we sent you here, you know, like calls for something. They're like, oh, we forgot you were in that country. Yeah, we need to get you out. (laughs) Right, like that would be funny because you just immediately sort of away from it. But yeah, like the fact that it tried to remind you, Every time, every time, and that he I'm was like, always oh, right, like, "Well, I'm, two totally, pages, pages? I'm totally,
0: three pages, totally fucked," because we yeah. only have four pages. After I don't even, I lost track of like how long he was there for. It was like a month or no, something. he's two or two supposed weeks. to be there two for weeks? Month. Be there a month. two weeks. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I was just like, I don't even know how time passes. I just knew like he did the one night for four hours. That was the real time where mm-hmm. I was like, okay, now I understand. The rest of it was him just handing out flyers and asking people what makes him laugh and them being like, leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with the American government. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Although him in the subway saying I'm from the American government to people was funny to me.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't want to talk to the American government. Something
0: about him not knowing how to present himself with authority and at the same time, not knowing if he should or shouldn't or what the hell he was supposed to do. Yeah. Just pointed. To and like,
2: thinking that him stating that he's from the American government would make people want to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. There's
0: all those like nice little bits that could have been that were, they're funny kind mm-hmm. of in retrospect and thinking of them in like abstracted ways. And then when you put them all together, it really doesn't work too well, uh, at least in this execution. So,
1: I I was gonna say we we mentioned real quick when he goes into Pakistan, it isn't really made it exactly clear. Like they just get this, I like mention that there's these budding comedians in Pakistan that want to see him. Yeah. Though we've pretty much proven everyone in this part of the world has no clue or most everyone has no clue Albert Brooks is mm-hmm. uh and then he's supposed to show up only he can go across the border. Yeah. Uh they blindfold him and then immediately play that off as a prank which at which is that was funny. Yeah. Like that made me laugh like yeah, okay. <laughs> like, Cuz he's freaking out or whatever. Yeah. Uh demand that he do stand up. <laughs> they he don't want to be interviewed. They demand he does stand up. They get him high and then he does his same routine. And they laugh hysterically the whole time at everything. Well, and, I'm like, and you
2: have, he's saying it in English and they don't speak English. And you have the translator saying everything to them. Right. And either they're all high as shit and they're just <laughs> laughing at the situation and everything. Yeah. Or the translator is actually adding some sort of culturally relevant information to it so that it translates better to them. Or,
1: or I was like, they just think it's hilarious that he ch- did show up. Yeah, yeah are, the whole thing is things. just to fuck with him. Uh-huh. The, the only thing is the guard that's up on the hill. They show him laughing at yeah, one point. I was like, guy. yeah, was like, okay, okay. yeah. I was like, maybe it is being funny because he's laughing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he was yeah. also doing the puppet routine without a puppet, <laughs> just like just pouring water hand. on his hand, Pour
0: water into his hand. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that that, and then he comes back from it. He's like, yeah, I totally killed. It was awesome. I did a great job. Uh, Mission accomplished here. They have a sense of humor. That that part where he like writes it off is like, oh, I know what their sense of comedy is. It's just me. Like everything I've done we can write Yeah, in. now I understand. Yeah. <laughs> 4 hours
1: in Pakistan with some guys that I didn't even understand what they were saying. <laughs> Points to like just yeah,
0: the through line of ineptness that even uh yeah, Dixon you noted where he's like, all right, no shit jokes. Obviously, he just mm-hmm. whatever is first handed to him, if he f- accepts it, he's like, all right, yeah, that's fine. No scrutiny, no further levels or surface layer kind of like exploration underneath. He doesn't do any of that. He never gets the history written into the report yeah. or any of the culture. <laughs> Uh, and then we just dust our hands off. So yeah, it's, I don't know. Uh, it, it was a movie. It ended the way it ended. <laughs> I was kind of mm. like, all right, that was a ride. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that kind of brings me to, um, I feel like the conclusion of w- would we recommend it or not? I wouldn't recommend it. I would <laughs> recommend other Albert Brooks films that he's made that are known to be you know, sharply written, really witty.
2: What's your favorite Albert Albert Brooks film?
0: uh, I would say Modern Romance is my favorite. That is also because I'm a little bit of a sucker for, he likes to weave in parts of his job into his movies. So like in this one, he kind of had, he was a comedian. That was what he brought to it. it was comedy and talking about it. But in Modern Romance, he's a film editor. And so he weaves in segments of film editing in the middle of like this kind of comedic relationship thing that he has. Um, And I just appreciated the time that he takes to explore those scenes as well as use them to build up parts of the story as he's going like, I don't know, I I enjoyed Mm. it. But yeah, that's the one that I would recommend. Uh, I think also his first one in the '70s. Um, this is real life. I can't, I can't remember what it's actually called. I think that's it.
2: Something like that. Uh, yeah. It's
0: about him starting like a TV reality show. the The first like day or like few days or weeks or something of a reality show is great. It's oh like, wow! Another,
2: they didn't even have reality shows in the '70s, did they? Like
0: yeah, it's because like PBS had done uh, like an hour long special of like we stayed with a family and we kind of documented part of their life, and so oh, Albert Brooks comes in basically being a cocky son of a bitch. Like I'm going to show what we can do. We've made technological marvels and we're going to record a whole family for like a week and, and see how it goes or like three months or something. He's like, it'll be the first reality show first, everything. And it all just becomes a disaster. (laughs) Um, So yeah, recommend that one too. But yeah, uh, Ryan.
1: Yeah. I don't recommend Yeah, Darla doesn't recommend. Uh, we're definitely down in the, better than Vitalina Varelli level. Uh, <laughs> Vitalina Varelli. Uh, it's Vitalina Varella. I know. I it's Varela. so good. I, I like to gaslight and say it's slightly different every time. There's
0: multiple of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the plural. <laughs> yeah, it's the plural. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I, I think there was definitely like three quarters of the way through it when I was like, yeah, this is not really going anywhere. Like, And I, I could also tell it wasn't going to like Napoleon Dynamite crescendo into some over-the-top thing at the end. I was like, yeah, no, mm. it's just not, it's just going to end. Um, yep. So, yeah, no, it was just too, it was too bland all the way through.
3: Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it either. Um, watch Team America, World Police, or some other form of Bush-era political criticism that's actually funny and has has a lot of great jokes in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a bit more of a bite to it. Yeah. Um, well, there you have it. This is, is this our first unanimous not recommend
2: uh, uh, antlers antlers? <laughs> oh,
0: See I'd forgotten all about antlers <laughs> oh, uh, <eternals>. If only <laughs> Eternals we
2: were all thumbs down Oh yeah Did uh, I thumbs down it?
1: I probably did. Yeah. yeah, I think so. We were all
2: None of us Eternals. liked it. Yeah.
0: Well, there you go, everybody. It's the third unanimous <laughs> that we can think of right now. That we can remember. Yeah. If anybody <laughs> out there wants to correct us and be like, "And actually, there was this other one," feel free to. Uh, <laughs> John,
2: you were thumbs up on Sorcerer, right?
0: I was a uh, no.
2: We I was
1: like thumbs
0: middle. Half. I was thumbs up if it's in a bar and it had captions on it. Okay, because
2: Ryan and I were thumbs down on Sorcerer, I think, and you were. I still really liked. I still really
0: liked. The latter
1: half. We approved the second. Uh-huh. Both of us approved the second half. <laughs> that the th- and that
0: pushed me to say, yeah, I would watch it again. Yeah. I would watch Source. That
1: Fire was when John was indecisive on literally everything we watched. Though That's You it. mean like John has to... always yeah. been? Yeah, this exactly. Whole, this whole time? Yeah.
0: I was just turning into an intervention.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, well, before um, the intervening can happen even more, uh, I'm just going to cut it here. <laughs> See, we're going to go to a break, everybody. <laughs> it's going to run away. Coming to SUX Primetime Lineup on Monday night. If you love Big Bang Theory and young Sheldon, get ready to love another sitcom about scientific geniuses. Hey, Mike, in the long list of cognitive perceptual doctrines published in this edition of Psychology Monthly,
2: which would you say you subscribe to? The New York Times. (laughs) That's interesting.
1: I would have thought cynicism. Wow, you guys are nerds.
0: (laughs) It's Look at These Nerds. When Mike Schlongdinger is laid off from his job at an ad agency, he takes a job as a life coach for two socially awkward, believably cast grad school geniuses.
2: Now, when you give your presentation on word stuff to the class, you want to stand like this with your chest puffed out and make eye contacts like it's high noon in a Sergio Leone Western. Really stare him down. Is it similar
1: to the eye contact in Marvel movies? Like Captain America staring at Iron Man during the Civil War standoff? God damn it, you're such a nerd.
0: <laughs> Though they have their differences, Mike, George, and Elroy will learn that they have even more in common. I know you and Alicia just broke up, and I just wanted to give you this. I'm going through a breakup too. I know how hard it is.
2: Oh, Thanks, Elroy. That means a lot to me. Who broke up with you?
0: My RuneScape girlfriend. <laughs> Oddly enough, it happened around the time I ran out of the gold needed to pay for her new armor and weapons.
2: Oh, you're such a fucking nerd.
0: (laughs) Combining situational comedy, academically sourced facts, and stereotypical dynamics, Look at These Nerds is the perfect feel-good sitcom that'll leave you rolling on the floor laughing as the founders of scientific theory roll in their graves.
1: When you think about it, Mike, we're pretty lucky. In an infinite universe of possibilities, our two paths converged in a unique friendship shared only by us. You could even use that uniqueness to prove Cantor's theorem if you want.
0: George, why would we prove what we already know? God
2: damn it, these motherfucking nerds. (laughs)
0: Look at these nerds. Coming to Sucks Prime Time on Monday nights, right after all new episodes of I'm Still Funny, hosted by Jeff Foxworthy. Welcome back, everybody, uh, to Recommend or Refute. You know the rules. We go around the table. We're going to give uh, each a movie that we watched and whether or not we'd recommend it or refute it. And since I picked the film this time, I will be talking about the movie that I watched. It's a 1989 film um, called Curfew. It's a slasher horror uh, kind of piece. This is something that was sent to me by Vinegar Syndrome um, as part of my membership that I signed up for. Uh, Dixon, we were, you just texted us the other day. You dropped five hundred dollars on criterion.
2: No, no, not t- yes. The other day, oh, the other but day. I, I like at the criterion sale, I spent, I bought too much stuff and then it crossed me over the like lifetime $500 spend threshold. And they sent me a $50 gift card. I was like, well, shit, I guess I'm buying more stuff.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Exa- I was, I was going to be like,
0: well, Dixon, you've, uh, you've got a problem, but, um, I'm not one to talk. So <laughs> having vinegar syndrome send me all of these, um, <laughs> Yeah. So the, the premise was pretty straightforward for this film, it's basically like two brothers in a van and they ran as far as they could to break out of prison and get revenge on the D.A., the justice, the, the judge and a psychologist that convicted them for murder, which one of them maintains they wrongfully did, even though at the beginning of the movie we see them like murder somebody. Um, it's just one of those things where he's like convinced that 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 they've been wronged. Mm. Um, it becomes this whole thing where it co- like basically they cross paths with a young girl who's in high school, and in the eighties, that means it's like a twenty eight year old woman who's been cast as a high schooler, <laughs> um, and it seems young, she, yeah. And she <laughs> yeah, she, <right>? has to, <laughs> she has to be home by ten by curfew or something, or like her parents will she'll be in trouble with her parents. Her dad is the DA though. So when she gets home, she finds out that these guys have, like, broken into her house and are holding her family hostage, and it becomes this, like, tense situation where she's trying to get out of it, um, trying to figure out how to save her family and thwart these two home invaders. Uh, It plays by a lot of, like, the same kind of tropes that you've seen in several other slasher films. There were some aspects to it I really did enjoy. Uh, In particular, they did a lot of, like practical effects around like the way that these characters torment the people in the film that was like really made you feel for the family uh the acting is awful though like (laughs) the acting really takes you out of a lot of that um but they still had a lot of like interesting setups to the the home invasion trope that they're trying to play on um overall though I, i would not really recommend you go and seek this out unless you're a fan of slashers and you're really more interested in something that might have slipped by the radar you hadn't seen. So yeah that's pretty much my thought on it. Curfew, 1989. Nice. Yeah,
1: Ryan? Interesting. Cool. Uh, Yeah, I watched 2021's The Summit of the Gods which is a French animated movie based on a Japanese manga by Jiro Taniguchi about Uh, let me, let me give the, give it without giving Well, it kind of gives away, but, uh, a a Japanese, uh, journalist who follows mountaineering gets a tip that Mallory, who is the first guy, major guy going up Everest, but didn't make it to the top. Mm -hmm. uh, And then that's true that someone's found his camera, which might give evidence that he did or didn't make it to the summit. Okay, uh, And he gets in, in, entangled with a mountaineer who possibly has that camera and ends up going back and researching like that guy's whole life and then eventually like trying to find him and, and figure it out. So you mostly get the backstory behind this one mountaineer's life through the journalist. Uh, it makes me not want to climb mountains. It does a very good <laughs> job of that. Um, it, it has really excellent backgrounds that make you feel the scale the cold the locations um the animation does a good job of getting across like how harrowing it is how tense it is they use music in a good way to like kind of come in at the right places but also leave silence by taking it out in certain scenes um, and like the, you know, the, the facial emotions of pain and freezing and the things that go on. So, it, and that's really what the movie is, is really giving a very accurate uh, representation of, of mountaineering through this through line of like the history of going up Everest. And they, they do talk mm-hmm. about some of these like true areas that are difficult to climb and, and why and certain thresholds that were met. Uh, and, you know, at the end, kind of even the like, oh, at this level, you go insane because you're out of oxygen, like talking through some of that stuff. So I thought it was really good. This one's definitely like a visual, like you're kind of just locked down to the, the visualness of it. It's not necessarily like, oh, you're going to get these, you know, deep stories about people or, or large interactions with people. It is really like getting this basic story of going up these mountains and actually kind of seeing it. And yeah, that's what I was like, and a bunch of stuff that makes me like, nope, <laughs> Like yeah. just nope out of being <laughs> up a mountain. Um, yeah, no, I, I I really dug it. It came out last year at Cannes, and then can. Cans Cannes <laughs> uh can. They always drop all those letters at the end of French words. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think for distribution in, in the United States, it was to Netflix towards the tail end of last year. So this is available on Netflix. Netflix. It has an English dub. It also has original uh, with subtitles uh, which I watched a little bit of both, both fine. They're both good. So I recommend it. That was really good. Nice.
2: Nice. That's cool. Um, did they talk about like, I remember reading stuff over the last few years, Everest has gotten so popular that like there are too many people trying to climb it and there's just like a line of dead bodies at the top and of the mountain and, because yep, they can't yeah. get people off and there's too <laughs> many, like there's a line to get up to the summit and people just freeze to death sitting there waiting to yeah. get to the top.
1: No, they present it as more of like a solo harrowing experience. It's really yeah. like the guy in, the, in his Sherpa. Uh, they do he does choose to climb a more difficult, less populated part of the mountain. So maybe
2: oh, okay. like it's
1: happening on the other side, but we're not seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it tends to focus this more of like the, it, what you, we climb it because it's their concept yeah. mm-hmm. and, and yeah. less of the like, oh yeah, this, and there's a little bit of like checking the box of cool mountains, but yeah, not the like touristy way.
0: Yeah. I, whenever I think about that, I always just think like, why? But I also think about, (laughs) for some reason, anytime I see a mountain peak, and this is burned into my mind, and I, I really regret it. Uh, I think about Adam Sandler's *Mr. Deeds* remake because yeah. oh it starts with like somebody dying at a, mountaintop, On a mountain top, <laughs> and Mr. Deeds inherits all that money and stuff. Yeah, I don't know why it just always pops up. I've, I saw that movie. There was like one summer where I watched that movie a lot.
2: I don't <laughs> know why. It's what you're probably like 13 or something. Yeah, I, it, never, yeah. I never, I uh-huh. never went
0: back to it after because I know it's bad. Uh, but, like, I watched the hell out of it that one summer. Yeah. I was nuts. like, yeah, this is a good, and then I saw the Cary Grant one, and I was like, this is way better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's yeah. a movie that I've seen in pieces on TV growing growing up, and I'm sure I've seen the whole thing, but probably have never actually sat down and watched it, and I never, I remember just kind of not getting it as a as a kid, but, yeah.
1: It's one of those stringing together funny moments. Mm. Yeah. That's really all that they yeah, do? That's a, yeah, that's <laughs> cool. yeah. Cool. Yeah.
2: All right, uh, so I am uh, going to uh, do a quick rundown of things that I watched this week. Um, shorter list this time than the last time I just ran through through like 20 movies, but um, I've been catching up on some 2021 films. Um, I watched Days, um, gave that a B, um, Faya Dei, uh, B+, that's a documentary on Criterion that's really good about um, this Ethiopian community that... Uh, is having to grow cot instead of coffee because of climate changing and how that affects their community. It's beautifully shot. Uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy gave that a B. That's made by the director of Drive My Car. Um, American Gadfly documentary about Mike Gravel's 2020 presidential run uh, gave that a B. Um, the Scary of Sixty First, which is a 2021 yes, schlock film. Yes, I actually film. wanted
0: to see that. I haven't gotten to see it. yet. I
2: watched it. I gave it a B. I there were things I really liked and things I, that were really bad, and it's it's very schlocky. And I would be very curious to hear your opinion, John. Uh, yeah. yeah, I, I watched was, it. Really a, tempted yeah.
0: to pick it up because it's I think a Vinegar Syndrome published or something. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, I I the only reason I knew about it is because some I don't remember which one, but basically I just write movie titles down if I hear about it and like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I just never look back into it as I'm catching up on stuff toward the end of the year because I don't want to like learn too much about it. And it was on some critics like top 10 list for yeah. the year who like really loved it. And I was like, oh, sounds interesting. I've never heard of it. It's like 80 minutes. Yeah, I'll write it down. I'll watch it. Um, yeah. Very interesting movie. Would would really the love to hear what yeah, you itself is down. very intriguing. <laughs> yeah. um, it turns into something wild. Uh, uh, so, like it starts out weird and then it gets fucking insane it's
0: a, it's a modern exploitation film yeah way. basically yeah, yeah. A, yeah
2: um then i watched uh the souvenir which is from 2019 uh i gave that a b i was re-watching that because i watched the souvenir part two which is what i want to talk about um for my recommend or refute um i don't know if either of you guys saw the souvenir um but uh, i came out in 2019 directed and written by joanna hogg starring honor swinton Byrne, who is tilda swinton's daughter and tilda swinton plays her mother in the movie okay. um so in the the first one uh this the second movie you definitely have to watch the first one or you won't understand like anything that's going on the first movie Honor swinton Byrne is uh she plays this character named julie she's in film school kind of trying to figure out her life and she starts dating someone named anthony who works for the, the um, foreign office in Britain. And um, as the movie goes on, she starts to realize that he's a heroin addict. And she like didn't realize this when she started dating him. And uh, spoiler alert, skip ahead 15 seconds if you don't want to hear the end of The Souvenir. But he dies at the end of the movie um, from a heroin overdose. And then The Souvenir Part 2 picks up right where The Souvenir left off. And it's kind of her dealing with her grief from her boyfriend dying from an overdose at the end of the first movie. Um, the first souvenir, I, I didn't like it the, when it first came out. I think it was too hard on it. I watched it again this time and I liked it more. I gave it a B. But I think kind of my core complaint was that I had trouble buying the attraction between the two main characters. I didn't really understand hmm. why they were together. kind of like i understood the negative aspects of their relationship very obviously but didn't really understand the positive aspects and kind of why she uh you know was into him and felt like that was a good relationship um the souvenir part two there's some there's some of those issues where you feel a little bit distant from the characters but um overall I, i liked it a lot i give it a high b plus um it's basically about um you know her dealing with grief and kind of trying to get back to normalcy and uh, I'm about to get very personal right here but uh you know we, we just didn't record the podcast for two months because i was up in dallas dealing with my um my dad being in the hospital with covid he passed away and so i'm like kind of living out the process now that uh julie in the in the film is trying to deal with where she is trying to overcome her grief and kind of get back to her normal life and and figure things out i thought the movie did a really good job of kind of accurately portraying what that looks like. Um, She's in film school. She has to make a graduation film and she had something written from the first movie. She scraps it entirely and basically writes about her experience with her boyfriend and tries to make a movie about that as kind of a a therapeutic way of working through that. Um, But she's not really – herself like she's not capable of working at the level that she was previously and so you know she has all these people from her school that are working with her and they're like oh we all wanted to work with Julie because you know she's smart and she's organized and she communicates well but then like you know they're like she's not doing that now like you know the movie is shit because we don't uh, we don't know what the hell's going on. Like the actors don't understand their characters. The cinematographer keeps like having to change his shots that he's planned the day of because she doesn't like you know on the on the set she wants to change it. And there's a lot of communication breakdown and and strife on set of the film because she is not really able to be fully present and to be functioning at the level that she you know, normally would be able to, um, I identify with that a lot. Um, you know, I'm kind of trying to get back into work and to, you know, kind of doing things normally. And, you know, it's a, it's a long process kind of trying to get through a tragic experience and, and kind of be able to function at the level that you were before. So I thought it was really interesting the way that kind of comes together. Um, there's also a lot of moments where she starts second guessing the way that she, dealt with her boyfriend's heroin addiction because the actors playing her and her boyfriend in the movie are like, I don't understand why this character would do this. That doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. why mm. would you put up with, with this? Why did you like let this go on? And she is, you know, kind of having this personal crisis. So I'm like, well shit did I do? Did I do enough to keep him alive? Was I too strict? Was I too lenient? You know, it's second guessing things like that. And, you know, that's, it's like, I think a lot about things like that with my dad, it's like, you know, did I uh, push hard enough for him to get vaccinated? Did I do everything I could have to, you know, kind of make him not have had to have passed. And, um, you know, I, I think I've, I'm kind of at peace with, with that. Like I think I kind of did everything I could Um, and, you know, he just wasn't gonna, he wasn't going to get vaccinated. He was set on, doing that despite being very at risk. Um, And, uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I just thought the the movie like very much hit home with me where I am right now and what I'm going through in my life. And um, I felt like it worked pretty well. There's also this really well shot kind of trippy sequence toward the end that I really dug that did, they didn't have anything like that in the first movie. And it's, it's both films are pretty reserved. um, But the souvenir part two is a little bit more engaging and interesting, I think, and, and kind of pulls the viewer a little bit more. Some of that could be just because I identify more with that situation than I did with, uh, the souvenir part one, but, um, I thought it was really great. Um, if you are dealing with grief, I think it's a good movie to watch to kind of, uh, grapple with those issues and try to, you know, understand i mean it's not like it's not proposing any solutions on how to move forward it's just very empathetic it's like this shit takes time and like you're gonna have obstacles and you know it's it's you're not going to be able to just kind of get back to life the way it was before so um yeah i enjoyed it a lot um strong recommend
1: What's, what's kind of like the driving force of the first movie? Like, is that just the tension of their relationship or?
2: Yeah. It's, it's really just about their relationship and she doesn't know he's a heroin addict. Then she finds out he is, but she like, doesn't really want to believe that it's true. And it's like too, uh, too bad of a thought for her to really engage with. And so she's kind of in denial about it for a while. And then she is kind of forced to reckon with it because uh, you know it's his behavior starts affecting her and it's clearly like he's clearly on heroin and trying to get to his next score and doing things to harm her and her relationship and livelihood in order to do that and okay. so she's okay. you know kind of trying to deal with that and it you know kind of crescendos into where it, where it ends
1: cool okay yeah. do you feel like as together like that's the two of them then make a really good
2: yeah, together, I, I think they together. work really well. I watched them on successive nights this past week. And I thought, I think as a whole, they're really great. The first one kind of feels um, a bit austere and a bit uh, kind of abrupt in its ending. And um like critics love really loved both of these movies, but I I feel like they work much better together than than they do as as individual separate pieces. Yeah,
0: well, okay. yeah. I mean, if it's part two, it makes sense that it would need to depend yeah. on the previous. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of a, it's not a blockbuster film where you can like walk <laughs> in and be like, oh, this is Michael Bay's Transformers two. I don't need yeah. to see the first one. <laughs> they tell you everything
1: at the beginning again. Yeah, yeah.
0: exactly. Don't you remember? We have yeah, to right. get there. <laughs>
1: It, it, it was, just, it's an interesting kind of like bold choice on a more artistic movie to kind of go in being like, well, we'll get to the second one. Yeah. Like you might not.
2: <laughs> um, Scorsese was an EP on both of them. So I wonder if that helped to kind of oh, yeah, get, need
1: some backing. get yeah. them,
2: ma- allow them to make the second movie. I couldn't tell. I don't know if they were shot at the same time or if the mm. first one was made knowing they were going to make the second one. But at the end of the credits for the first one, they say like coming the souvenir part two. So they clearly always meant to make a second one, but um, I don't know if they were confident in the financing at the time or not. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that you're, you know, able to find a film that's helping kind of give you an outlet to to really process things. And I mean, I kind of want to latch on to like one thing that you said, which is it doesn't really propose any solutions, which I don't mm. think that any film that really helps grief has to propose a solution. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. it, it the, There's very much like you just have to feel it. You really can't get past those moments. You, you yeah. have to sit with them. And something like this gives you a blanket basically of comfort, something to say like, Hey, you're not alone in it when you're dealing with it, those kinds of things. So
2: for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually, uh, this is this kind of like bonus segment. Now. Um, I was thinking more and more recently with the events of Ukraine and Russia's invasion. Um, I have some family over there and, uh, getting updates on that. Um, and I was thinking, like, it made me think about "Come and See," um, oh, which yeah. is that 1985 anti-war film. Um, and that's it, a Russian film, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Soviet era. Yeah, by I believe Andrei Klimov. I think is the director, um, or I might be I might be misquoting. But um, yeah, just thinking about that film I was like, wow, that's a really good anti-war film. And I was going to post about it, and I gave pause because um, there's a hint of irony in recommending it, and that it is a Belarusian. Yeah. focused film mm, yeah and belarus is clearly helping in that conflict so i was like ah oh, i'm really conflicted to share this <laughs> uh it's still just a great An- anti-war war film.
2: films are always worth sharing regardless yeah. of what's you know kind of side they're pushing yeah. as long as they're against war <laughs> yeah 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 True.
0: um but yeah it is one of those that like uh yeah in this time it kind of as like heartbreaking as it is as a film to, to watch for me, it's something that like, I'm very drawn to watch right now just to Mm -hmm. give me some comfort in like, Hey, we all know that this sucks, right? Everybody knows that this is just a shitty situation. Yeah. So, yeah. Um,
2: I've definitely been thinking about Dr. Strangelove a lot recently Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, uh, all of the, all of the threats of nuclear conflict going on right now. It's hard not to, mm. uh,
0: yeah. The other day I was just, yeah, I heard a bunch of quotes from Dr. Strangelove in my head that I just like bubbled up when I read a news article and I was like, I gotta watch that movie again. Yeah. <laughs> it's building we cannot <laughs> have a shaft gap.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Gentlemen, there's no fighting in the war room. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, well, that uh, I believe that that brings this to a close. Unless y'all had any additional nits you wanted to, to tack on at the end here, we're doing a bit of prescriptive cinema this time around. It yeah. seems like, um, uh, yeah.
1: The only trivia I found to this this week was uh, Albert Brooks's real name is is Albert Einstein. No, no it's not yeah it is <laughs> no, yeah, it is. is. Yeah. You yeah, sure you're and not the, thinking of Mel no,
3: Einstein,
1: no, Einstein. <laughs> yeah no it 100% is and I was trying to process like how <laughs> uh, but yeah no that's his real name
0: wow alright well there you go everybody that's a hmm. uh, funnel little fact I don't you? believe you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ties into
1: nuclear bombs yeah <laughs>
0: It's actually Albert Oppenheimer. (laughs) 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 Um,
1: Yeah. So Chris Chris Nolan is
2: making a a film about Oppenheimer right now. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. I did see that.
1: Uh, Yeah. Um, Who's the who's? Didn't they cast it?
2: Is it that Irish guy that I can never pronounce his name? Um,
1: (laughs) I remember. I think I saw that they cast it. Yeah.
2: yeah. Killian Murphy.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 it is Killian Murphy, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, there you have it, everybody. We have a, a roundtable of, let's see, mine was curfew. I would refute that. Uh, I only recommend <laughs> if you're into the slasher flicks of the 80s, uh, you might want to watch it. And then Summit of the Gods, Ryan. Recommend, yeah. Recommend. And Dixon's Souvenir Part 1 and 2 because it's Yeah, you really deal. have to watch
2: both. Uh, Souvenir Part 2 is, is, in my opinion, the better one, and it's the one that is dealing with all these issues on grief. But you definitely have to watch them both, and I, I think it's worth the time.
0: Yeah. We, um, yeah. They're
2: both under two hours, um, so you know it's it's not a huge time commitment. It's not nothing, but
0: yeah, you're not doing the Lord of the Rings festival, <laughs> yeah,
1: right, yeah. yeah, and yeah. the Batman. Is that what we were just saying? Yeah, the <laughs> <Yeah>. Batman. Yeah, <laughs>
0: um, but there you have it, and uh, that about does it for us uh, at the Underground Table. So we'll call this episode. Uh, I have been your host,
1: John Garcia, with me as always, Ryan King, and
2: and Michael Dixon. Thanks for putting up with our
1: bullshit. Hey, did you know you can follow us on social? Myself, I find it annoying, like you. But science says this works, so sit down and listen. Unless you're on your morning run, then run on and listen. We're on Twitter and Instagram at NotutPod. pod Those are platforms fellow kids use these days. Did I mention I work for a social media company and a major messaging platform? If you're an older housewife, check us out on our Facebook page. Feel free to hit us up at night to the underground Table at gmail.com. Let us know if there's something you'd like us to review. I'm old enough to remember when Gmail wasn't a thing. Please leave us a voicemail on Anchor. Actually, check those things. We'd love to hear from you. Check out the episode description for more detail. Subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review on that favorite platform. Our overlords need to reinforce their self-delusion that they're providing a non-evil product.